friends. I'm going to try to turn my flashlight off so I don't blind anyone during the course of this message. Um, it is so good to be together, and uh, not only are some of us indoors here, not only are some of us at home, but we actually have some of our international partners here today, Bobby Q and his uh, family, Hope and Ethan and Elizabeth and Sarah, yes. So thank you for not only flying in, but also driving in across state borders and joining us for this um, first service of worship today. Um, over the course of the last couple months, Pastor Jeff and I have been doing a couple things, holding the Beatitudes of Jesus on the one hand and recommending some outreach behaviors summarized with the phrase, notice and bless. That the world is blessed, our neighbors are blessed when we first of all notice them, when we begin with prayer, when we listen, letter L, when letter E, when we're able to eat together. Last week was the first letter S, when we're able to serve with the Spirit of Christ. And this morning, the second S is for stories. Uh, so Martin Luther King Jr. said this, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? It's a question lots of us are asking right now. Hopefully it's not purely out of cowardice. Cowardice asks, is it safe? Vanity asks this question. Is it popular? Are a lot of people going to like it? Are people going to like me more if I do this? And then he's had this as the third option. Conscience asks the question, is it right? Is it the right thing to do? The ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments where things are easy and convenient. The ultimate challenge for a church and a person in test is where we stand in moments of crisis and controversy. Jesus calls us to be people of good conscience, to be righteous people, by which I mean people who are able to discern not only what the right thing is to do, but the right time for it to happen and are committed to bringing it, uh, manifesting it uh, in the right way and in the right manner. Jesus longs for those kind of courageous, righteous people. Jesus' most challenging beatitude is this, I believe. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How could it be that we are blessed, that followers of Jesus are blessed, even as we might be being persecuted? I feel like I should say a quick word to those of you indoors. I'm looking at a camera right now because I'm trying to talk directly to those who are gathered at home, so please don't feel like I'm ignoring you, right? Amen? <laughs> awesome. Uh, how can it be that we are blessed when we are being persecuted? What does that word even mean, persecuted? Have you ever felt as if you were being, I mean, actually persecuted? Um, these days in the United States of America, we are much more likely to say um, that a person is being perhaps discriminated against rather than persecuted. And though the definition of those two words are pretty close, although persecution is a deeper, uh, more life and death, more serious kind of thing in most cases. Discrimination or persecution happens when your identity 
or when your story, who you are, what you believe in, when that comes into conflict with someone else's story or value system or identity, and when there is either a price to pay or a punishment or a door of opportunity that is slammed closed because of who you are or because of your story. We live in a land whose employment law reads this way that we ought not, we cannot discriminate against anyone according to a person's race, color, religion, sex, including gender, sexual orientation, and pregnancy, or because of someone's national origin, or because of someone's age, disability, or genetic information, right? In our country, amen, right? This is a good thing about our country, that it is illegal to discriminate based on employment based on any of those criteria. Righteous people, when they see any of those forms of discrimination, righteous people call those things out and name them for what they are, wrong and harmful. And righteous people also rise up when they are asked to pay a price for who they are and what they believe in when they or we are discriminated against. Friends, it's my suggestion that when we are challenged because of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, perhaps when we are pushed against or possibly even discriminated against because of our commitments or our identity or our story, that there is, in fact, a blessing that comes in that very moment. Whatever the situation, when I experience resistance or challenge or just because of my personality when someone says like, man, you can't do that, and here's why it's not going to work out. Whenever I hear a message like that or experience that kind of resistance, I think in a healthy way, something can rise up within us and say, no, actually, because of this challenge and resistance, it actually affirms and makes me believe this all the stronger and all the more deeply. That happens to righteous people of faith that we persist and courageously push through. Have you ever had to pay for your story? Have you ever felt like, oh, if I come out as a Christian in this situation or in this group, or if I say something that would give witness to my faith, faith that some door might close, I might become less popular, or there might be a penalty to pay. I want to dwell with you for a few minutes on this word, your story. Um, It's pretty common, at least it was historically, to call the Bible the greatest story ever told, the Jesus story. I kind of like that as a description for the Bible, quite frankly, Uh, the greatest story ever told, because the greatest story, because it's revealed from the heart of God and expresses who God is and is the story of the universe, um, the way the Bible's big story is framed, every other story that has come after it has elements in common with the biblical story. The Bible has a strong intro, and then there's massive obstacles to be faced. It has an incredible resolution and redemption, and there's a great teaser about what's coming in the future. And those four basic elements are uh, kind of the recipe for any decent story. When it comes to the Bible, um, here's how I would sum up the greatest story ever told. It begins with creation. God spoke everything into being, and in culmination of the six days of creation, God made 
boys, girls, men, women, the human race, so that men and women together could, in a complementary way, reflect the image of God. The obstacles come when sin enters the world. This is part two of the story. This is the part of the story, actually, where the spotlight shines on us as human beings. We bring the trouble through disobedience and sin. If you read the whole Old Testament through the light of those two dynamics, the goodness of God in creation and human beings just creatively finding one way after another uh, to bring more sin into the world, uh, you understand most of the Old Testament narrative. A corner... Uh, is turned in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the great moment of resolution that God himself steps into the story as the second member of the Trinity and introduces um, the possibility that even through um, the obstacles of sin, uh, we can be raised up, healed, redeemed, restored, and live forever. And then the fourth part of a classic story, a teaser about the future, the Bible describes um, only in mysterious and brief terms the new heaven and the new earth that is coming for all of us. I would make the case that each part of God's great story, the greatest story ever told, is in significant conflict with where we are at as Western culture and Western people and our preferred values these days. If you go out and, or write an article in a magazine that says, hey guys, God made everything, uh, probably more than half of the population will think you're off the rocker for thinking there is a divine, kind, good person who spoke the entire material universe into creation. If you were to go out there and um, you know, say that sin is the biggest problem in the world, rather than politics, rather than discrimination, um, people will look at you like, nah, that's just kind of off-target religious jargon, and are you telling me that I'm a bad person if you think sin is the main problem? Like, are you, are you putting me in that category and just judging me and writing me off? If you tell someone that you think that uh, the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning is the pivotal moment in human history, again, people will probably say to you, seriously, you're basing your life on the conviction that a Jewish guy 2,000 years ago like, walked out of a tomb? That doesn't happen to dead people. And probably the quickest way to get people to think you're crazy is by talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are elements, the core elements of our Christian story. Amen? Like, I'm personally, I am proud of this story. I am proud to stand in front of you and say, I am basing my entire life on the truth of these four pillars of God's story. And not only that, but my understanding of myself, my identity, the way I process both the good things and the bad things and the difficult things in my life all relate back to this core story from God. I don't think it's an offensive story. I think it's actually the ultimate story of hope and comfort and peace and honest reality. The reformer Martin Luther 500 years ago in his own way said, I am basing my life on this story. Martin Luther said, I am happiest when I live like Jesus was crucified yesterday and when I live like Jesus rose from the dead this morning and when I remember that Jesus might be coming back tomorrow. Because in all of those cases, it means Jesus died for my sin yesterday and it's in the past. 
And his resurrection power is here for me today, and I'm going to live like there's actual hope for the future. And that makes for a happy and joyful life. To that, I do say, amen. It is more common for us in 2020 to live a story that goes like this. Oh, man, COVID was bad yesterday. And coronavirus totally stinks today. And tomorrow, it's still going to be lurking around the corner. And how much longer is this going to last? Like, hold those two stories in contrast, right? We are living in a world that is going headlong into that second story. And there is some truth to it, but there is not ultimate truth to it. Pastor Jeff is going to tell us a little more about how to make this story personal and uh, give us some help on how to, yeah, give witness to the hope and the good story that is within us. So part of leaning into this story that Greg's talking about, this greatest story ever told, is leaning into sharing your story. Seriously. So we've been working on these practices, right? Notice the world, see people, and then bless them. Bless is beginning with prayer, listen, eat together, serve, and today share your story. These practices actually help us to build relationships and to love people, genuinely. They're not like to make people in the projects. They're not like little checklists you do with your neighbors. They're like a way to build relationships and to love people as you see them along the way, to bless them with the favor of God. So today's practice offers another way to bless people, that is sharing your story. Now some of you are probably thinking, well, why does sharing my story offer a blessing for somebody else? <laughs> it seems kind of self-centered to focus on me and share my story. Why would that be a blessing? Well, think with me about this. When it comes to sharing our faith, most of, it, most of us have been taught the four spiritual laws, the Roman road, the bridge illustration. Those are formulas that were put in place to help Christians, equip Christians to be better at sharing their faith. But today's world, it's not the same. People don't really do well with formulas. Uh, they kind of reject them and they get really worked up. The authors of a book, I Once Was Lost, say this about the world we live in today. In another day and age, God, religion, and church enjoyed the general respect of the culture. Not today. Religion is suspect. Church is weird. And Christians are hypocrites. Distrust has become the norm. People are tired of the sales tactics often employed by Christians and are offended by our bait-and-switch attempts at introducing them to Jesus. So our best posture toward people in the world is a posture that says, I want to bless you. I'm genuinely interested in you as a person. I want to be your friend. How do you make friends? Well, you share your story. Everybody has a story. Stories have peaks and valleys. They have twists and turns. They have relationships, projects, fun, adventures. They include our identity, our purpose, our meaning, our beliefs. Our stories, believe it or not, have power to inspire and encourage people. They have power to actually change someone else's life. And when you tell your real story, not the highly edited version that takes out all the bad stuff, but the real story, the authentic tale of your life, it helps people to see you as a real person. It builds a relationship. It drops the walls between you and somebody else and opens the way for the gospel to travel across. On top of that, our stories, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, our stories intersect with God. We have recognized that God has entered our stories and we have said yes 
to Jesus, not just once, but multiple times. Right? So we have something to offer the world, an insight that they don't have. You know that every person's life on planet Earth has intersections with God? Every person's life does. Most people have no idea what to call those. They have no name for them. They can't even put words to it. They have no idea how to say that thing that I can't explain that happened in my life that seemed like a coincidence or a piece of luck. That was actually God entering my story. So when we tell them the story of how God intersected our lives, how we recognize it was God, and how we said yes to following Jesus, it gives them the language to do the same in their stories. You know, this is a, a thing in the Bible. Regular people, untrained people, were sent out by Jesus to tell their story. One of my favorites is the guy who was demon-possessed. He had like hundreds of demons, maybe thousands. Jesus sends him to the pigs. Remember this story? The pigs running and drowning in the lake. And then he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. The people of the, of the village come out. They're like, holy cow, what's happened to this guy? And the guy says to Jesus, I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, no, you can't go with me. And here's the instructions he gives him. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. Go tell your family and friends your story, right? Or the woman at the well, you know her? She had the five husbands and that weren't her husband and then the last husband who wasn't her husband and she was at the well in the middle of the day because she was so ashamed of her life. Jesus talks with her. He, he, he kind of reveals to her her whole life story. He talks about this living water that can be found and he sends her back home. Look what she does. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's story. He told me everything I ever did. Now, what I love about these examples, these are not theologically trained people. These are regular people. In fact, both these people, from what I can tell, have probably never been to a Bible study or heard a sermon or attended church or studied anything about the Word of God. But they go and they tell their story and their stories change lives. Their stories alter the lives of others. Now that is awesome. That's why telling your story is a blessing to the world. Because you get to put language to things that other people are experiencing, but just don't know how to put language to. Now, we can't end there. we got to say, how do you tell your story? Well, I'm just going to give a quick thing on this. Every story has four elements. Greg's already talked about them. Every story has a beginning. Where did it start? What characters played a role in setting the stage for your life? What were those opening pages of your story like? Was God present at that time at all? Every story has obstacles, difficulties that we faced, right? Um, darkness, twists and turns in the story, regrets, disappointments. Most of the time, we leave these out of our stories because we think they're not going to give glory to God. That's not true. There must be a God if you're still doing what you're doing and you have all this junk in your life, true? You know if you hear me preach, there must be a God. If you knew my whole story, there has to be a God. Right? It's a no-brainer. So the obstacles are a powerful part of the story. Then there's the hope. Where did you find hope in your story? Where did the Lord enter in? Where did he break into your story? Did you recognize his coming? What did it feel like? What did he say to you? How did that make your life better? And then finally... There's a future. Where do you want your story to go in the future? Where do you want to end up in the future? Now, this arc of story is in every biblical story of characters' lives. I won't go through them all. I was thinking of them all this week. 
I'm going to take you to a weird one in Josiah in the book of Kings. Maybe you don't know who he is. He was a king. Let me, let me show you his beginnings. Look at this verse. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. That's Josiah's grandfather. He was a king for 55 years. This is just one thing said about him. He was a terrible guy. His father, check this out. This is his dad. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways of his father. He worshiped the idols of his father and worshiped and bowed down to them. This is his father, Josiah's father. Josiah's father is killed by his own advisors. They get rid of him. So Josiah becomes king at eight years old. Those are his beginnings. You would think this story would end poorly, don't you think? Terrible beginnings. And then we get this little like piece of information that's just stuck in there by the writer. I love this. His mother's name was Jedediah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boz Bozkath. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, not Ammon, his father, not Manasseh, his grandfather, but his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Well, how did he figure that out? Maybe his mom greatly influenced his story. Somebody must have told him the real story that Greg's talking about. And so he becomes this faithful follower of God. And then 18 years later, at 26 years old, he orders the temple to be cleaned up and they find the book of the law there and he reads it for the first time and he rips his robes in repentance for himself and his people. And he turns his life to God in a whole new way. This is his story. God enters his life through the Bible, through the book that he's never read. He spends his future smashing idols, calling his people back to the Lord, celebrating Passover as a leader. Now this is over and over again in the Bible. Paul is great at his story. Look what Frederick Buechner says. Deep within history, as it, it's, as it gets itself written down in history books and newspapers, and the letters we write and the diaries we keep, is sacred history. Is God's purpose working itself out in the apparent purposelessness of human history, of our own separate histories, is the history, in short, of the saving and losing of souls, including our own. This is the power of your story. Your story can bless the world. Now, here's the thing. We probably need a little practice. I, I wish I could pass these out today, but of course, in corona time, we don't pass things out because I might have corona. I may have it all over Touch this in the hands of you, right? Not going to work. So if you want one of these, this is an actual little booklet that helps you practice how to tell your story. You say, well, I don't need practice. Yes, you do. Because you can't tell the 45-minute version to your neighbor when he talks across the fence to you. You got to tell him the two-minute version of your beginnings, your obstacles, your hope, and the future you hope to have. And you can practice with this little booklet. If you want one of these, you get in touch with me. I've got some in my office right now. I'll get more. I'd love to see everyone in this church practicing going through this book and getting your story straight so you can tell your story. I was reminded again at the last Journeyman meeting a couple of uh, weeks ago how powerful stories are. Director Stewart from the Juvenile Cook County Detention Center was here telling his story. He told us that as a young child at six years old, he was kidnapped by his father and kept in a garage with his brothers and sisters. This was his beginnings. 
He told us that a woman in the neighborhood would bring them food, even though her father, his father threatened her and said, stop it. She kept doing it anyway. And she, he saw God's grace in that. Eventually, he was rescued from this garage and found faith in Jesus. Now, at the morning of that story, he told this whole story, but afterwards, I talked to him right down here in the front. He told me the rest of the story. He said, oh, I'm taking care of my dad now. I'm like, what? You mean the one that locked you in the garage and kidnapped you as a kid? Yeah, I'm taking care of him now. And I go to his house every day. I bring him food. And I think he's kind of finding Jesus. And I'm just, you know, the Lord told me to love him and forgive him. So I've forgiven my dad. That is the power of story, right? Amazing what the Lord can do. Even in our worst beginnings, and our terrible obstacles, when God breaks in, he gives amazing hope. That's the story we have to tell the world. Will you do it? All right. All right, good. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, um, I know that in the modern era, Lord, our words are not going to mean anything to people. Our arguments aren't going to necessarily land. All of our apologetic skills aren't necessarily going to work. But one thing that nobody can argue with, Lord God, is our story. The story of how you entered our lives and how you've made a difference there. Lord, help us to love people, to bless them, to see them. And Lord, give us a chance to tell our story to someone who needs to hear it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.